Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 148. Thank you for joining us. Today, Bonnie and I are joined by Colby's Everett Bayarski, Megan Lengel, and Tony Gazaldo to discuss honors and advanced courses. Our guests help us with questions such as when we might consider honors courses for our students, but also help us to better understand what honors courses are, along with other options such as AP and dual credit courses. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Hi Stephen, nice to see you again. We have a two recording week, which is always fun. How have you been since our last recording? Oh, doing well. Again, and it's kind of exciting to be able to do it a couple days in a row. Last time we recorded first Monday after daylight savings time, I got a good night's sleep, so I'm a little bit more lively today. So that's <laughs> fantastic. You're recovering from the time change. Excellent. Yes. Yes. Always throws us for a loop here too. Yep. We are welcoming back Everett Bayarski, Colby's academic services director, Megan Langle, chief academic officer and Tony Gazaldo, Middle and High School Online Learning Director. Everett, what are you most looking forward to in the next school year? You know, the, the thing I think I'm looking most forward to in the, the next school year is year two of our, our new family advisor program. You know, this is our first year doing that program. And over the last month, we've been, we sent out a number of surveys to parents just to get some feedback on, on what their experiences have been. And the, the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive that this was something that, that parents have, have really enjoyed and really felt value from. And so I think that's the, the piece that it's been exciting to, to watch this develop this year and all of the, the resources that families have been able to, um, to access because of things that their advisors have been doing, the relationships they've been able to start forming with their advisors as their advisors check in with them uh, once or twice a school year, um, and the, that, that kind of added availability and not having to, to figure out um, you know, which uh, advisors they contact for which of their students as we've done maybe in previous years. And, and then what I'm excited about is the the way we continue to build on that for year two is, is you know, what else can we do to to build those relationships, to provide those resources, to to give that support to to families to, to help them through this entire home education process. So it's been really exciting this year and, I, and I'm really looking forward to what we can do with it next year. That has been a great uh, development and I've, I've certainly appreciated it. All right, Tony. What are you most looking forward to next school year? I, I think what I'm I'm most looking forward to is entering a, my second year in this position. Um, I, I've always felt that it takes you a good year to learn what a job is about. When you take a new job, to go through one whole annual cycle, um, and I'm approaching that, so I'll be I will have been in this role a, a year in April, and uh, at Colby in May will be two years. So I, I feel like I've, I'm getting enough experience uh, under my belt now where I'm starting to kind of get a sense of like uh, how things work deeply and and my knowledge of, of uh, courses is growing and, and all the things that I need to do to do this job well. And I also will be glad to not um, not have Megan be in a position of having to train me for a solid year, uh, you know, as I encounter new things, having to be taught how to do, you know, each thing. Because um, I think part of the purpose of my job is to free up Megan to, to go forth and do grander things. So um, I very much look forward to being being able to work more autonomously and not have to ask her every time I encounter something new, like what I'm supposed to do. It's definitely understandable. And I think there are a great many homeschoolers out there who are uh, approaching the end of their first homeschooling year who might feel very similarly to how you do. I know I did at the end of our 
first year from schooling. Yeah. Often I hear from priests who enter a new parish that's just like, no, first year, you just go with it, figure things out, and then you can really start to do your thing, you know? So that seems like wise, a wise course of action and a wise path. Okay, Megan, what are you most looking forward to next year? It's a great question. There's a lot of things I'm looking forward to. On a personal level, I will have two high schoolers. So I'm looking forward to having um, a ninth grader for the second time. I feel like I know how to do this now. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Professionally, I'm very, very excited about our new student support services that we're offering. I know myself and my team spend a lot of time on you know, student issues, whether they're disciplinary or struggling students, and to have a whole department dedicated to helping those students is going to be very, very helpful for my team, um, and and even more so helpful for those students. So, yeah, so that's what I'm looking forward to next year. Thanks for asking. Oh, sure. Lots to look forward to. And the program you're referring to, we just did a Colby cast on that episode 145. So I'll be sure to link that. So folks can listen back to that if they missed that when it came out and to hear more about that program, which has all sorts of good things going on there. Okay. Well, as enrollment season gathers steam, we thought we'd take a look at an area of the Colby high school course offerings that presents some mystery and opportunity for deeper contemplation as to their role in the integrated Colby curriculum and their suitability for individual students. So that's kind of uh, big picture and also individualized. Uh, that'd be the advanced courses that Colby offers, some classified as honors courses and others AP for advanced placement, which is a college board program. So we're going to go over the nuts and bolts, as it were, of the various advanced courses to help people as they're perusing the Colby course catalog and weighing their options. Then we'll zoom out a bit and use sort of broad, bigger picture, various aspects to keep in mind when it comes to crafting a student's course of study. Going along with this will be some consideration of the various awards that Colby is now uh, presenting to students upon graduation. So when folks take a look at Colby's graduation requirements and course plans, they'll see a couple of terms used throughout core and honors. Tony, would you take us through the distinctions between these two? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, we actually recently had a, a great um, discussion of, and we being a department chairs and I, um, and trying to make some distinctions between core and honors just to, uh, you know, help our instructors even understand what it is they should be doing to make sure that an honor student is is experiencing something that is not exactly the same as the core students would. And it's also helpful, I think, probably to start with what's common. Um, and what's common is that every student is going to get a rigorous experience. So it's it's not that we have uh, uh, core courses that are not rigorous. And if you want a rigorous experience, you do honors. At Colby, it really is. You can do a rigorous experience in a core class. Um, but if you want to experience something that is even more rigorous or fundamentally different than honors is a good place to go. But I also would say that in, in common is is that we value uh, classical education. So uh, in both experiences, students are going to be learning um, mostly the same topics. Um, so there there are there's a little bit more content I would say in in the um, honors courses, but we're not merely after just more. So we're not merely having students in honors courses read more, and we're not merely having them write more, even though there is a little bit more reading and writing. Um, I would say that de the defining characteristics of honors are is that, um, first of all, students are going to be expected to learn more independently so that when they 
come to class, they've, let's say in the humanities, they've completed a reading assignment and the in instructor expects that they are able to read and understand more independently and that they don't need as much direct instruction in order to understand uh, the subject matter of what they read. And so what that does then is it makes it so that the instructor um, can move more quickly through sort of the comprehension side of learning and engage in, in um, discussions that are leading students to engage in higher level thinking more so than in core so that they can um, study a topic more deeply and, and kind of extend beyond what was in the text a little bit more than what happens in core. Um, as far as writing assignments go, it's not merely that honors or students are writing more, but they're, they're also expected to write in a more sophisticated manner. They're expected to be able to engage in more sophisticated argumentation than what happens in core. And I, and I think that that just kind of gives them a, a little bit of a different experience that is it is it's more intellectually rigorous. So, so like, like uh, um, Everett said earlier, it's not merely a matter of increasing quantity because um, that wouldn't actually be giving them a more like intellectually rigorous experience. It would just be giving them more work of the same kind of rigor, um, which has value. But but we we try to go beyond that in the honors courses. All right. So, Everett, let's hearken back to your days as an academic advisor fielding phone calls from parents like me. I can remember several phone calls with you years back, wondering about the honors and AP courses and whether to enroll their students in those courses. Yeah, absolutely. And this is certainly, uh, it's always been a part of, of Colby's mission to make sure we're providing, you know, academically challenging courses for, for all of our students, uh, but particularly for those students who might excel in, in certain areas. So that was something that's that's been very important to us, um, you know, in the homeschool program, and then as we built out the the online program, uh, as Megan was going through, we, we wanted to be conscious of of being able to offer that online as well, um, and kind of develop forward with with opportunities to do some AP courses, which we'll talk about too. But the big thing with with those honors courses is is uh, the first question is really why are you seeking to do those? You know, and there's probably two main reasons we hear, both of which are valid, but we think one is probably more more important than the other. The first reason we hear very commonly is people want to talk about improving their their college admissions chances and their college uh, resume. Uh, and that's certainly relevant and it is important um, because there are some some impacts there, both as far as they're evaluating your overall coursework, but also uh, looking at your GPA with the, the possibility of the weighted GPA with the one point bump from a four point scale to a five point scale. But the, the biggest reason that, that we think that people should be looking at taking honors courses is for the, the challenge and the opportunity they offer for the student. Because an honors course should be a course that is going to take a student um, deeper into a material or is going to provide some extensions, some ability to make connections outside of what might be made in our, in our core course. So that, that they would have opportunity to explore a connection that maybe hasn't been explored as much um, in that core course. You know, for example, one of the things I used to teach the, the Theology 10 course online, which is our, our Church History 1 course. In the, the, in the, the Church History section, we do a lot of reading. We're reading Eusebius, we read uh, St. Ignatius of Antioch, we read the Didache. But there, there are other materials that we don't have time to read over that, that, that course of that period. And so that's where we can add in uh, some of the other pieces. One of my favorites was adding in Justin Martyr's Apology. Um, that's a more philosophical work, um, but it's at that same time period. And so we can then dive into maybe a little deeper on what are the philosophical connections um, between um, you know, the thought of, say, say Plato and how that, that came into an influence early Christian theology. So the, the time period is the same. It's going to be a little bits of what we're talking about and maybe in, in discussing that topic are going to um, 
uh, have already been done by the core students, but it's going to have an opportunity to, to expand and broaden the, the application of what they're learning in a way that, that we just don't didn't have time to do in the core course, because we want to make sure that we can keep the, the reading loads manageable. So when when parents are looking to do to do honors courses uh, for their students, the, the big piece is we want students who who desire that challenge, who are going to uh, take on that challenge, uh, and who are going to grow from that challenge, because that's really the purpose of what we're trying to do is we're trying to that opportunity for um, the academic growth and the personal growth that comes with being able to challenge students. Um, so while it's, it's it's certainly okay to take courses because they're going to look good on your transcript when it comes to, to applying to college, uh, core to Colby's philosophy is you should be taking challenging courses because they're going to be good for your student and good good for their education as, as kind of the fundamental goal of, of what's being looked at, which really guides all of our course development. As we're working through the course development process and evaluating our courses, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at is this course meeting our goals of providing additional depth, providing additional extension, um, and, and how is it doing that? Or, or is it simply a case of we have additional writing and they have to read more things? Um, and if that's what's going on, then that's where we're looking to make some changes. And there probably have been times where there's more of an emphasis on, on quantity uh, than on quality. And that's one of the improvements that we've been working to make over the last several years and are continuing to do so. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. When I first started really digging into some of Colby's lesson plans, I was like, really, you want something harder than this? I mean, because compared to most schools, the, the the base Colby curriculum is definitely honors level. I mean, if not almost college level at some point, when you look at what this, the kind of the level of depth and the quality of materials you're pursuing. But, but yeah, I see there's just some needs at times to, or some students just love it. And once they're, once I think once students are used to kind of the Colby curriculum in particular, I see that then there's this desire to get more at times and to delve deeper. So it's like, that makes more sense to me now than it did day one when I first started looking at that. Megan, back thinking back on your academic advisor days, do, do you, did you find that folks coming to Colby from brick and mortar schools kind of came in with an expectation that they would go, okay, show me your honors courses. They, they kind of came from that and they just thinking they would continue on that arc or what was your experience of, of working with families through some of those decisions? Yeah, I think the challenge with um, intaking students from brick and mortar schools is obviously not all brick and mortar schools are created equal. In some sense, it was easier to talk with a homeschool parent who'd been homeschooling and, and kind of transition them into Colby's curriculum. Cause a lot of times they were doing things very similarly curriculum wise, like very, you know, very much challenging their child. Whereas a parent coming from brick and mortar didn't always have like a grasp of exactly what was happening in the classroom. And it was very um, it's varied on the institution that they came from, whether an honors course really was an honors course or did it equal what an honors course at Colby yeah. was. Right. So it, it is challenging. It's very challenging to kind of match curriculum and make sure that, you know, students being challenged to what, what their potential is without overburdening them. So, you know, even when a family may come to us new from a brick and mortar, I might still say, you know, maybe just try one honors course. I know they were in five last year, but like Colby's core classes are rigorous already. Um, and honors is a whole nother step. Um, and, and that's kind of advice I take in my own family too. You know, I started calling out my, um, when he was in ninth grade, he's, he started in honors math and science. Cause I knew that was a little more, that's easier to match, I think. 
um, than the liberal arts. I started, I let him do one honors humanities class and now he's doing many honors humanities classes as an 11th grader next year. Um, and I'm taking the same approach with my ninth grader next year who has been at Colby for two years already. And I said, okay, one honors humanities class, you know, which one are you more passionate about? Literature, history, theology. And he, he went with history. Thank you, Mr. Wilkinson. So, you know, I, I think that it, it's so, it's so dependent on the individual and, and the background they're coming from and, and the temperament of the child. You know, I mean, I have two very different children that'll be in high school next year. And I have one that like, like is just like eating the humanities up with a spoon. Like he just loves it. And then my other one, who's just a little more like, he just wants to do coding and stuff like that. But at the same time, I still want him to have the humanities because if he does go on to do computer science in college, he will probably never see the humanities again, at least not in the way that he will see it at Colby. So yeah, I think it's it's so dependent on the student. And that's why I think the family advisor is so important in the process that they can talk to the family, really get a feel for that. They, and then the family advisor can consult with our deans if they're going to be in an online school um, or our department chairs, you know, to to maybe even place a student even more um, individually. As Megan was talking, I was just thinking about the the piece about considering the individual student. It's I think it's useful to think of rigor in academics um, relative to a student's readiness as being something akin to exercise, where um, the way to grow your muscles or your body or strength in a healthy way is to challenge your body uh, a little bit beyond what it's accustomed to doing. So if you're weight training, you're challenging your muscles to do a bit more than they're used to doing. But there is a point at which the level of rigor or, you know, the exercise, the, the level of weight is beyond what you're going to be able to do. It's just going to cause injury. And so you have to kind of assess each student's readiness, what they're used to with workload, what they're used to with um, the academic rigor, what they're used to as far as their independence go, how how uh, self-directed they are, um, all of those things, um, and determine what's just beyond what they're accustomed to doing and help them grow. So that you don't have to think of, you know, if, a, if a student were transferring in a ninth grade, let's say, you don't have to think that I need to get them on the honors track immediately so they can be a, on the honors track in 12th grade and, and that kind of thing. You kind of want to assess where the student is and then stretch them um, so that they they are able to develop their talents, but not, also not overwhelm them right out the gate with uh, with academics that would just not be possible for them to do. I think that's a really great point, Tony, and something that's prop it's very unique to Colby compared with even private schools is that just because your child starts on a particular track doesn't mean that's their destiny for the rest of their high school career. So, you know, you can have a student come in that has not taken any honors humanities courses and after ninth grade, you know, mom and dad realize how much, how, how well they did and, you know, they want to give them that extra challenge and in 10th grade, they can certainly take an honors um, humanities class with no problem. Now our honors math and science classes um, typically have prerequisites associated with them. So you have to have a certain grade for um, the previous class, the prerequisite class. Um, but our humanities classes do not have that. Although, you know, if your student's struggling in literature um, at the core level, you know, you may not want to push them up into the honors level. But just, just the point that you don't, have to worry about like if I don't get them in at ninth grade, I've I've set their destiny and they can never, you know, bump up to an honors level class in that subject. That's certainly an area too where 
if you're not doing the online class, of course, you've got then the flexibility to experiment with that a little bit more, like even gauging, like, is this even just a little bit beyond the norm, the normal? And I need to bring, we need to work on these skills or we need to build up or let's start out with the honors. And if it doesn't see, if it seems to be overwhelming, we can dial it back, you know? So homeschool wise, we've got lots of flexibility early on, but being challenged is just really good though. I've seen from my, in my own family's experience, I look at things and think, oh, that's too much. And, but you let them try it out and it's hard, but they develop the skills and then they're pushing forward beyond where you thought they could even, which is really wonderful. And really to that point of the the working with the family advisors that, that Megan mentioned was, that's where that, that conversation can really come in because on one hand, again, challenging students helps them rise to the occasion and helps them realize what they're capable of, which is amazing. On the other hand, what we don't want is that they're overwhelmed and it's just so burdensome that they just shut down and they just have a terrible educational experience and it makes them think that um, they aren't capable. And so that's where that balance is really important. Um, and that's why, you know, what Tony and Megan were just talking about, the ability that that you're not stuck on this track, you're not committed um, to, you know, once you're once you don't do honors, you can't ever do honors again is really important because we have the ability to, we can flex you up, we can flex you down, um, we can coordinate even within an individual school year, you can start off um, at an honors level. And if you find that that's just too much, we can work with you on all of those things. But that's where it, that building that relationship with the family advisor who can get to know your students um, and, and what your students are, are interested in uh, and what they're capable of so they can help you through that process is so crucial. Okay, so much to think about. It highlights the the value of of having someone walk walk through it with you with the families trying to make these decisions and our ability to be able to see, just to kind of gauge how things are going along and make adjustments, course corrections as we go along. Yeah. In in what subject areas are are the honors courses available? So the honors classes that we offer um, in high school are pretty extensive. We offer honors in theology, literature, history, math, and science, pretty much all four years of high school. Our upper level foreign language classes, so Spanish three, French three, Latin three and above, those are all considered honors level as well. Um, And then there is an honors creative writing class available in English. And then as far as AP classes go, we have um, a couple of AP classes AP is probably a whole different discussion in of itself. Um, so right now I'll just mention what we do currently offer. We have two math classes, AP Stats and AP Calculus AB, uh, AP Biology and AP Chemistry, um, AP Literature and Composition, and am I missing one? Oh, AP Computer Science. Yeah, how could I forget that one? And those particular courses require the teacher to submit a syllabus to the college board and the college board approves the syllabus. And then once that happens, we're allowed to put the AP designation on the transcript with the grade and all that sort of thing. And um, students may take the AP exam. Now, technically you do not have to take an AP test to also take the AP exam. So before we could offer AP courses, um, before we had the online school, we did have a few homeschool courses that would prepare the students for the AP exam, but we couldn't specifically call them AP on the transcript because it's specifically tied to the teacher's transcript. And since the parents were the teachers, um, they would have had to get their own transcript or their own um, course curriculum approved by the college board to do that. So that's our AP and honors curriculum. And then one other thing I will mention 
in the middle school, we also offer accelerated math courses. So students who are on that path to be advanced in math, um, maybe as early as grade six would be an accelerated math six and then accelerated math seven in seventh grade. And usually most of them would move on to honors algebra one as eighth graders so that they're taking honors geometry in ninth grade. So, yeah. Okay, so those factor into the awards that that Colby has um, established, right? So let's let's talk a little bit about that. So we have some general awards that aren't based on honors courses. So the St. Maximilian Colby Award awards students who take Colby's core curriculum all four years um, from you know math, science, as well as humanities and foreign language. But then we have kind of subject area specific awards. So for example, we have the St. Thomas Aquinas Award and this one is focused on humanities. So it's awarded to any student that takes our core theology, literature, and history courses all four years. And then half of those courses would be honors level. So that's 12 courses total over four years. And then, so six of those would need to be honors. So for example, with my children, um, both of them are interested in that particular award. But when I start them in ninth grade, I start them out with one honors humanities class. And then by 10th grade, they can handle two and then they could do another two in 11th grade and then maybe slack off in senior year and just do one. Um, or maybe not. The, the, I honestly could see my current or my rising 11th grader taking all honors in uh, when he gets to 12th grade just because he really enjoys it. Um, so, again, I'm that's the where you're tailoring things to your child's interests. Right. You're you're ha you're encouraging them to do honors in the areas that they're um, that they're good at and that they're really interested in. So then another award we have is the St. Albertus Magnus Award, and that one is focused on math and science. So that one, you take uh, biology, chemistry, physics, and then a elective science. Um, the elective science can be um, fulfilled with AP chemistry, uh, AP biology, or astronomy. And then you take up through calculus as well as far as math goes. So you're going to have, you're still going to have four years of math. It has to be at least up through calculus. So now we, we've realized that we don't offer beyond AP calculus AB right now. Uh, so students can be approved to take that at a community college or something. If that were, um, if they were at that level by the time they get to be a senior. Um, and, and like the St. Thomas Aquinas award, half of your courses would need to be honors courses. So, you know, Honors biology and honors geometry as a ninth or 10th grader, honors chemistry and honors algebra trig as an 11th grader, that's four out of eight. So that's the math science one. And then we have a foreign language award. It's the St. John Paul II award. And that one requires that you take up through a fourth year language of any kind. So it can be French, Spanish, or Latin, but you also have to have at least two years of Latin. Um, and if you don't take, if you do all four years of Latin, then the then you have to have two years of another language. Now, that's the one award that you can actually start as an eighth grader at Colby. Um, and Everett, maybe you can jump in and talk a little bit about how that works when it comes to the foreign language award. Absolutely. And that's because, especially in foreign language, you know, more than 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 other subjects, uh, there really is more clear leveling. And so this award is written rather than being based on credits, it's based on completion of levels of mastery. 
Yeah, thanks, Everett. And then just one other award. Well, I'll mention two more awards. Um, one is the St. Ignatius Award, similar to St. Maximilian Colby, but you don't have to do quite as many credits as the St. Maximilian Colby Award, but um, up to, tw- I believe it's 24 credits of your curriculum over four years it are all Colby courses. So they aren't, um, they don't include, they can include courses like with other curriculum, but you have to have at least 24 credits that are Colby's curriculum only. And then the last thing I'll mention, just so I don't leave it out, is we have um, an organization called the National Honor Society. We have our own chapter. I think this is the third year we have it. Um, But to qualify to be an NHS, to qualify to apply, um, you have to have uh, four Colby courses um, every year that you're enrolled with us. So as a ninth grader, um, for Col- it can be Colby Core or Colby Honors courses, and you have to maintain that level of number of Col- Colby courses each year. And then you have to maintain a 3.5 GPA. So um, something to keep in mind if you if there's any um, rising ninth grade parents listening to this and planning out if you think your child might qualify for um, our chapter of NHS, you know, make sure you let your advisor know and they can make sure that you have um at least four Colby courses that you've chosen at course registration. Okay. We, I will be sure to put a link in the show notes to the page on the Colby website that details these awards too, to kind of read through them in more detail and, and see them kind of laid out side by side. Let's talk just a few minutes about AP. I just have a, a little bit of, a little bit of experience going through with, with my, my eldest right now. I just wanted to throw out that, it has been challenging for us as a homeschooling family to avail ourselves of the AP testing. Um, I still see great value in the AP courses that he has taken, and I can detail some of those. And I'm I'm sure you guys have more to add to that. But I would just point out that it really varies by state how how well the homeschoolers are able to access some of the services through which College Board operates, um, specifically testing locations. So that has been a real challenge for us finding a place that will allow my student to take, to sit for the exam itself. However, he still has gotten a lot of value out of the courses that he has taken AP level. That's just sort of a cautionary tale. And I I know that he has many classmates who have not had that same experience. So this is just something to kind of anticipate. And if, if as you are um, looking ahead at your school year, those sort of start of school year activities or um, things on the checklist would be start looking for places to take the AP exam. So anyhow, just throw that out there. What, do you all have anything you want to add to the AP discussion? Not that we have to go. Um, I know yeah. I know. we spoke with some of the CLT people about AP courses and things. And I, I know, you know, my first instinct is like, let's do honors, not AP, because you, you don't really always want to get into that college board stuff. But I know Megan does a really good job of looking through those courses and making sure that we are going to maintain our Catholic courses where, when we're picking those, but it seems like a lot of, it's important to a lot of families. So I'm so grateful that we can kind of offer some of those things that they, they need and do our best to, uh, to make sure they're, they're going to be good Catholic courses according to what we can do. You know, it's just easier for us when we can, we can make the rules without anybody else doing it, but I understand. Yeah, I'll I'll tag on to that, Stephen. And and when we first offered the AP Lit course, um, we we really had to examine whether it was within our mission, because we definitely didn't want to have anything. We didn't. We don't really like having an outside source influencing our curriculum. 
But at the same time, we recognize that, you know, the AP courses are a draw to families and sometimes they're looking for that and it, and it gives them peace of mind to have a few AP courses on their child's transcript. So when we, when we looked at designing that course, we first really examined what the College Board was requiring to see if we could, we could mesh um, our mission. And, and, you know, it really was great to go through that process many years ago because I think we came up with a, a stellar um, syllabus and our students do amazing on that test. And it's one of the harder AP tests. So um, we used to offer AP physics and they have kept stripping their AP physics courses down. So we went back to offering honors physics because they know the AP physics one curriculum was so much less than what we wanted to offer in honors physics. So students are in our honors physics classes. You know, if they get a prep book, they're going to be pretty darn well prepared to take the AP Physics 1 test and maybe even the AP Physics 2 test if they do a little bit of um, self-study. So, you know, and and I understand the College Board making those changes, but, you know, at the, we didn't want to be beholden to what they were saying as far as what curriculum we wanted to see our students do in those advanced courses. You know, so if, if we have a student that wants to take Honors Physics, we want to make sure that it's, it's Colby's standard of Honors Physics, not the college boards because ours are higher. So anyway, I, hopefully that kind of gives you the idea of what, what we're up against when we pick and choose the AP courses that we offer. And, and really, we went through that same process on the history side, taking a look at the history, and we made the determination that that we we don't want to do what the, the AP would require us to do, and that's why we don't offer AP courses on the history side. And And I will say the same with AP foreign languages. So... Those we've turned into honors classes instead. And the other consideration on the the AP side is that one of the things that you deal with with the, the AP courses is the issue of, of AP testing, which can be challenging as a homeschooler. You have to, to make arrangements with a local school that provides that test so you can then go and take that test. But more importantly, the, the AP courses to receive college credit, college credit is always issued by whatever college your student ends up going to. And every college treats AP test scores differently so that some, even though a three is a passing score for all the AP tests, some colleges won't grant credit for a three. Some don't even grant credit for a four on, on certain tests. Some, some may require a five on a certain test to grant um, the college credit for that. So what that means is you could get a, a score of a four, which is a, a really good score on a, a certain course. But if the if your individual college doesn't get credit for it, you won't have that college credit. So I think that's one of the things to consider is while there is potential value uh, in receiving college credit uh, going through the AP route, the that's probably not the number one reason you should be choosing to do AP courses um, because it may or may not be available. And one of the reasons it may or may not be available is because colleges are increasingly realizing that those tests aren't the best measure of whether or not a student has actually mastered that that content. Um, and so what, what's going on is, and part of the reason for that is because as Megan mentioned with physics course, the AP has continually uh, changed their standards and lowered them to the point where a college might look at that test and say, that's not a course that we can award college credit for. So the reason you should be taking the courses is to, to learn the material, to be challenged by the material, to grow through the material. And then there's also the added benefit of potentially getting college credit depending on what score your student receives and what school you, your, your student ends up going to. Lot to consider there. Tony, do you want to jump in here and you have 
thoughts you want to add to the AP discussion? I think I think Megan did a good job of probably um, I think Megan and Stephen actually both of allaying fears that parents might have about culture war issues and like I mean AP's been the headlines lately, right? So offering reassurance to parents that if AP appears in our stuff, it's been you know curated. You know we're not just uh, adopting AP willy nilly. Thinking as a parent, I'm thinking like, okay, I I want to challenge, I want to give my child the fullest experience, and but I don't want to make them dread their whole course year because they're just every second is spent, you know, saying I've got to read this much or whatever. So like, how can you keep that kind of wonder and love with the challenge? How do you identify that kind of as a parent, even or as a teacher, identifying what might be best for the student? Yeah, I can certainly start off on that one. And I think the, uh, as always, it, I think it's work to, worthwhile to maybe step back a little bit. So what we're talking about here is that uh, that the difference between the courses is more qualitative than it is quantitative. Um, and that's important to to realize, to think about, because what that means is it isn't simply, if it isn't simply a matter of doing additional work, then it isn't simply the case that uh, the course can be done by working harder. Um, and this is something that we most commonly run into. I'm just thinking, you know, Megan mentioned early on, we have those uh, those advanced math courses in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Um, and those courses are different than the the regular court math courses in grade six, seven, and eight, not simply because of the um, the leveling, because you know we have math six, advanced math six, uh, math seven, advanced math seven. And sometimes the temptation for people is to say, well, my student is advanced, so I'm going to move them from math six to math seven. So that's a change in level. Um, we move them them level wise. And advanced math six and math seven don't cover the same materials. What they do is advanced math six covers the math six materials in a different way. So it's a it's a, a qualitative difference in the way that it treats that subject area. Um, in that it's asking the students to take the concepts that they're learning and to apply them in ways that are deeper or more challenging than what students in the, the core math six course are, are being asked to do. Uh, and the reason that's important is for a student who, who perhaps is intellectually gifted in, in some fashion um, in the math, and isn't simply a matter of they're, they're good at working hard through things, they need that extra challenge to really be able to stimulate that, that math part of their brain. And they're going to get more stimulation from that advanced math six course, where they're they're having to do more rigorous problems, more challenging problems, um, focusing on the same concepts than they would by simply hopping up to math seven. Um, and that's one of the the pieces in sometimes we see the the temptation. We've talked about this in some other episodes, I believe, is to to simply just race ahead to get it, get as far a, a, and as fast as you possibly can. That's not the same thing as as having an intellectually rigorous um, curriculum and, and being challenged. And so that's where um, it's the same concept of we could give those math six students just, hey, here are more problems. And, but but just giving them more problems isn't going to make the course a more advanced course, more rigorous course or more stimulating. It's just going to make them do more work. And while they're, they're well, we, we want to make sure that we're giving them the right amount of work so that they're learning and that we aren't under challenging them, simply giving them more work doesn't isn't accomplishing anything for their learning. And so that's the piece that we're talking about when we're looking at these honors courses, especially the high school level, um, is that simply giving them more things to read in and of itself doesn't increase the intellectual rigor. 
it just means they have to spend more time reading. What, what we want to do is we want them to engage with the texts more. Um, so we want to be able to increase the level of engagement that those students have. So much like we're trying to give, take the same uh, concepts that we're teaching the, the course students that I was talking about in the math, um, and then give them more challenging applications of that same content. That's what we're trying to do in an honors course is we want to take the same topics and make them really think through, okay, well, what are the, the ramifications of this idea? How do they expand? It might be cross-disciplinary. You know, you're, we, we've just done this thing in, in literature. Uh, how does it tie to the things that you're learning in history? So we may have some deeper discussions of, of cross-disciplinary discussions. Um, it may be, uh, maybe it's some additional reading that will will really add to the student's understanding and broaden it so that they'll have a better idea of um, interrelatedness, perhaps. But again, the goal of adding that reading isn't to, well, you, you previously you had 40 pages and now you have 80 pages and therefore it's more difficult. Um, the goal is previously you're focused on this section and we think that you are capable of understanding that piece um, independently, as Tony was just talking about, that ability to, to read and understand independently. So we're also going to give you this other piece to, to read so that we can do maybe compare and contrast. We might be reading two uh, pieces uh, dealing with, uh, for example, in our, um, uh, our history courses, uh, we may be reading uh, two different biographies of the same person um, to then compare and contrast what's happening in each of them, where in the core course, maybe we're only reading a single biography. So either way, we are learning about this figure. But in, in that, that honors example, what we're doing is we're taking two different perspectives on that same figure. Um, we're seeing what's the same about the figure, what's different about the figure, and then asking questions like, why are we receiving different details in these two different accounts about the same figure? What we're trying to accomplish is, is those why questions to give students the ability to um, make the connections, to see the differences, uh, and then to, to, to evaluate. I love that as a parent, because when I've had really students who really excel and it's like, really, you're done with that already. And they're like, yeah, you hate to turn around and just say, well, I'm going to punish you for enjoying your material and doing it. So I'm going to double the amount of work that you've got to do where instead, if you can say, okay, you did you, what did you think about that? Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, here's this other great thing we can read about that same thing. And, and, and it, I like, I like that because there's that temptation to just punish punish excellence by by making them do more drudgery, which is, is always horrible. Well, and the big challenge there is if it's simply a matter of give them more and race them ahead, you eventually get to a point where they're going to run into a wall where they just aren't, you know, they aren't capable. And then you got to a point, and we see this in math sometimes, where people try and they want to race their students through math as, as fast as they possibly can, not realizing that their student is... Uh, is an excellent hard worker, but maybe doesn't actually excel at math. Um, you know, that their ability to work hard has covered up the fact that they are maybe a slightly above average math student, which there's nothing wrong with. And so what happens is they get to, to pre-calculus and then they hit a wall and go, wow, I don't actually, I didn't mast, really master that Algebra 2 content to the point of now I'm doing this honors pre-calc course and it's just too much for me. Um, or even still, I raced ahead, I'm now I'm, I'm an AP calculus um, and it turns out that that I was getting through based on on the my, my hard work, my discipline, my stick to itiveness, which are all excellent qualities. But it means that you're at a point where now you're doing a course that you're you maybe you're just not well suited for. 
And so that's the piece of we want to be able to evaluate that as well as we go through this process of of getting a student in a spot to be successful, not just um, doubling their workload and, and knowing, well, that you know what, they've got a great work ethic, they can handle the extra workload. We want them to challenge them to, to grow intellectually, to, to stimulate those areas of their mind. Um, piggybacking on one of the things you said, Everett, I have my own personal experience in high school. I started out in Algebra 1 as a ninth grader. I did not test into Algebra or out of Algebra 1, which I was hoping to do, nor did I even get recommended for Honors Algebra 1, even though I had taken it as an eighth grader at my parochial school. And I really wanted to take calculus by the end of my senior year. So then they let me, uh, after geometry in 10th grade, they let me take Honors Algebra Trig. So I I had enough trigonometry and kind of pre-calculus topics from that class that I could go right into AP Calculus. But not taking pre-calculus haunted me all of college. I ended up having to retake calculus as a freshman at the University of Dallas. Um, I still managed to graduate in four years as a physics major. So it's all fine. It all works out. But I, I still like I, not having that that full pre-calculus class that most students have between Algebra 2 and, and Calculus haunted me all really all the way through grad school um, because there were just a couple things that I didn't hit well enough. I just didn't spend enough time with it. And there were concepts that I just didn't even get at all um, that I ended up having to catch up on or just, you know, bring myself up to speed on later. So just, just a little um, story there from my past. I see this in math all the time of people who, especially on that honors track in math, who the reason they're in the honors track is because they do a really good job of getting their homework done, which gives them good grades. But they haven't actually mastered the material to the level that um, you would really want or expect, but still they keep getting moved on. Yeah, it's almost like as a parent, you should be looking as a prerequisite for your child, like looking at their test and quiz grades as you know even though it's technically our prerequisite is you know having a certain grade for their entire grade um at a certain level to have an honors course but you know if if you're really concerned about like well is, are they just working hard or are they actually getting this stuff you could look at their test grade and if they have a solid a that's probably a good indicator and i guess as a parent keeping an eye on on really what they're how much time they're spending on that too i mean because yeah you, you get those really super perfectionist hard workers and you think well you're spending three hours a day on this course okay let's i'm glad you're getting it done but let's not let's not ramp up more let's let's uh let's just take our time with this here at this point i'm wondering at as we progress through the high school years, and some of us may have a map of, of what that's going to look like from ninth grade, they're going to do this course this year, this slate of courses this year, all the way through 12th grade, but uh, maybe not. And that that's all right. That's something to collaborate with the advisor on. Uh, we are finding that there are so many great Colby courses on offer. It's, it's like, how do we get them all in? Because they are all great courses. But I know there are also many, some competitors there with uh, dual enrollment. Some of it's offered through Colby, but many families uh, take advantage of local uh, dual enrollment offerings as well. What are your thoughts about crafting that last year, maybe a couple of years, of a Colby student's course of study, especially if the student has been taking advanced courses along the way? So my own personal opinion is that there's a place for 
um, using the community college for courses that, you know, your child might not otherwise have an opportunity to do as a homeschool student. Um, so in the case of a Colby senior, for example, let's say they, they were advanced in math and took AP calculus as a junior, um, I would consider highly looking at the community college for the next level in math. Likewise, perhaps in foreign language, if they are beyond the fourth year of language or interested in the language that Colby doesn't offer, um, that would also be, uh, I would recommend looking at the community college as an option for that. Now, beyond that, I think, it, in my mind, maybe travesty is too strong of a word, but Colby's humanities courses are so amazing. And, and even the core class is academically rigorous. The honors course is even more rigorous. If you go to a community college for an English course or English literature or history, I, and, the, and your child has been doing Colby's humanities courses up until that point, they are going to be sorely disappointed. The curriculum just is not up to snuff. Let's put it that way. So, you know, I would use a lot of caution in doing that. I know a lot of states, community colleges have these free programs. It's free college credit. I understand all those things. And it's it's hard to argue, argue with the bottom line. You know, free is free. But at the same time, as, as a parent, you really have an influence on your child's education until they graduate from high school. And then they go off to college and they pick their own courses or they don't go off to college and they're in a vocational school or whatever. Either way, you no longer have that influence on your child's education. Um, so my personal opinion is that you have this opportunity to bring this amazing education to your child. You've been doing it for ninth, 10th and 11th. Why give up senior year? Give them, you know, the the courses that the, the whole reason you chose to go with Colby is that you loved the the core. You loved the academic rigor that it offered, the teachers that are available in the online school if you use the online school. Um, push through to the end. Get get to the end of the race. We're like in an earlier podcast that we had recorded, I think parents really need to be careful as well because you think, okay, well, it's free. Okay positive. Okay. Maybe you even know there's a good instructor there. And that's something that a parent, I think as a homeschooling parent, I want to know who the instructors are and, and whether my child is just going to be indoctrinated with whatever it is that from. So I want to make sure it's a good teacher, good school, good program, that there's something going on there. But you also have to keep in mind the where your student is, because he may be in there with a bunch of 20-year-olds or or she might be and they might not think at all the sort of things, which isn't, you know, if they're prepared for it, great. If they're the sort of student who can go in there, maybe they're evangelizing already at this point. And it's, it's a great thing for them. It's a great thing for their school. But they are going to see a lot of things and probably hear a lot of things in many situations that you might not be prepared for if you don't think about those things before you make that choice. The last bit that I'll add in, especially with regards to those 12th grade courses, the 12th grade courses are the point where we're really working to transition them to prepare them to go out. We're going to wrap up everything that we've done in, in our entire curriculum, and we're going to prepare to send them out. And so if you send them off to community college and you don't do those courses, you've missed that that final step of, of preparation to send them out. You just send them out without it. Uh, our 12th grade theology course in particular um, is a phenomenal course that deals with prayer and spirituality 
and really focuses in on student spiritual life, um, which is the last thing that we want them to leave Colby with is them having a relationship with Christ because they have encountered Christ. And, and, and I'd hate to have them skip that course. Similarly, in the, the 12th grade theology and the 12th grade, or the 12th grade uh, literature and 12th grade history courses, we're really going to be having those students wrestling with the issues that they're going to encounter in the world. And we want them to do that with us, where we can support them through that process and give them the resources through the process and, uh, and help make sure that they're on the right track. Because you've chosen to entrust a portion of your children's education to us, we've designed that last year as the piece to to wrap up everything that we've been trying to do to prepare them to go out into into the world. Um, so it's, I would really hate to have them miss that amazing uh, material that we have there in 12th grade, because the goal is to save uh, a few hundred dollars on um, on the college credits. Again, I, I get it, money is tight. Um, it, it's challenging, and, and you can look and go, you can look at that, and you can see a really a direct result to saving money. At the same time. Families have sacrificed so much for so many years to provide this kind of education to their students um, th that I look at it and go, let's finish the job and let's do it right. Uh, and let's let's get that wrapped up so that when they go off, they are ready to go. Uh, and you, I can't tell you how many times we hear back from parents who tell us, my students got off to college. And not only is it not challenging, it's easy. Because they have been so well prepared by all of the work they have done across all of your subject areas that what's happening is they're able to engage those texts in college in a way their classmates can't. Um, and what that means is they are able to go further and deeper at the college level because of all the work that they've done that comes beforehand. I almost threw a couple of amens in there when you were talking, Everett. <laughs> yes. check our show notes we'll have uh, links to things i've mentioned already and as well as some relevant colby cast episodes and other uh, other things that have come up such a great discussion today and we appreciate all of you tony megan and everett for coming to visit with us about these things and and giving us lots to think about and also the encouragement and reminders of of the whole reason we're doing this so really appreciate you all coming back today thanks bonnie thanks, thanks bonnie yeah thanks, thanks everyone. Steve. thank you fun. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam. <laughs>